Welcome to the Top Order Podcast. Well, Test Championship final review time on the Top Order Podcast. The first of two podcasts sitting in the airwaves this week from us. We've got the Ashes preview coming up as well later in your podcast feed. We're going to give some props to the victor, Michael, over here. We're going to talk selection for the game. Was the toss really important? Key players through the final. The pitch, the controversy around Shubman Gill and his Twitter faux pas. We'll also talk over rates, the format of the tournament moving forwards, and Lippy will get some New Zealand news in there somewhere as well. All coming up on the Top Order podcast. Stay tuned. Well, boys, just the three of us again this week. Uh, get well soon to Rajiv, who's at home nursing a bit of man flu. But we are going to manfully get on with the podcast this week. We've got a couple of episodes coming up as we mm. trailed in the little preview. So we've got the ashes. So we'll we'll try and avoid too much um, in terms of build up for the ashes. I'm sure we're going to not be able to contain ourselves boarding with that. We'll try and keep it under control through, through, through the course of this. But we do want to look at the World Test Championship final. So obviously played at the Kennington Oval. I think um, we're going to go through a, a whole bunch of factors that, look, I think we've got to really put into context as well. I think I read a stat that this is the first test match that's been played at the Oval in the month of uh, June. Um, maybe not ever, but certainly in recent history. So I think, you know, that's going to have a little bit when we talk about probably selection, when we probably talk about the to- the importance of the toss and when we talk about the sort of way the pitch behaves throughout the course of the uh, of the uh, of the final, mm. but Bordy, first and foremost, mate, congrats. How does it feel to have probably one of the worst actual physical trophies in world sport? You don't like and it? I don't I mind think it. It's bloody love- horrible. Oh, just because you've never won it. I love the mace. I don't mind it. I, I think it's fine. There are there are a lot. I mean, it's not it's not a Stanley Cup, is it? But it's it's not a bad trophy to have. I don't mind. I don't mind the. I don't mind the mace. It's different. It's unique. It's exciting. It's better than the toilet bowl, which is what you play for in the <laughs> whatever the Australian A League football is called. Um, it looks like a, it looks like a toilet seat. Um, so yeah, there could be worse. It's a good one to have. I like having it. Well, and look, you know, I'm not bitter about this. You know, we are the only country, after all, that's hosted the World Test Championship, and we'll, you know, we'll continue to do that for the Indeed, next one as least, well. Indeed, at least, yeah, 2025 will be at Lords. But I, I think this is a, a landmark moment for the podcast, though, isn't it? This could be because Baldy predicted Australia would win. It doesn't count, and no. Australia won. Well, I've been told. Think, I've been told. Mid, I've been told midweek that it doesn't count if you predict a victory for your own team. So no, well, yeah, I think, I'm still. I, think I'm, I said that to you. you, didn't you I, did, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I'm still though, betting zero in terms of the, predictions. The juju's gone. Like you guys can actually stop. So when we do get to our Ashes oh, preview, right. you don't have to both pretend now that oh, you have to pick the opposition right, okay. team. Like, please just. I bet we still do. Yeah, I bet yep. you still do. It but, could be that. Yep. But surely we can. Uh, Spoiler alert. Yeah, we can. We can now say you can actually back your own team on this wow. podcast and, 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 it, and, and not it can jinx come them. True. Oh, wow. Dreams well, can come true. That, <laughs> this one certainly has for <laughs> Australia. Well, well, look, we'll come on. I think to, to you know the, all the runners and riders and, and key moments throughout the course of the final but we've got a little bit of a running order so i think you know let's let's start at the start of the game so selections first we we talked about this in terms of you know what all those permutations were 
I think let's be honest it was a lot easier for Australia um, th- there wasn't oh, really yeah. too much and the minute Josh Hazelwood was ruled out injured oh, it made it easy it, it, was a, it was a pretty straightforward yeah. conversation so look, I don't think we'll spend too much time on Australia oh, they got their already selection. spent too much on it absolutely <laughs> absolutely spot on but India where do we where do we want to start Lippy you've probably got the most notes um, I think I've got the second most notes and Baldy maybe the third I've, most, got, so. I've got no notes on selection right, so let's start with you wrong. Lippy with the most notes I mean you know I'm always going to go to Ashwin but I think that's where everyone's kind of conversation is going to go and uh, look in their defense I think you look at that pitch on day one you look at them winning the toss and you think and even you look at that first hour and you think playing four seamers isn't ridiculous but I think what that selection did is it it was playing the conditions playing everything else instead of just playing your own game and I think that's what New Zealand did so well in their lead up is that that when they actually went on their successful run they just picked their best bowlers they Mm. picked their best players we even saw it in India when Australia was mucking around not picking Travis Head because three years ago he had a bad record in India or whatever it was I think you just pick your best players and I even think that around not picking Yashan Kishan actually you know playing um, Barat ahead of him Barat to be fair again did a really nice job with the gloves I thought you might like to talk about that a little bit later but I think just it wasn't a very positive selection I don't think he, and, and yeah, Ashwin's been their best bowler he's the best, been the best bowler of the World Test Championship stats wise why is he not there? Uh, it's inexplicable to me if you had asked Australia which who would you rather have play Barat or Kishan Australia would rather have Barat play than Ishan Kishan who would you rather have play some combination of Yadav and Takur or would you rather have Rivachandran uh, Ashwin play Australia would pick that like Give me both Yadav and Takur yeah. all day, every day, instead of having to face Ravichandran Ashwin, particularly in, well, wouldn't have faced him in the fourth innings, but, you know, a, a wearing pitch that started to do a little bit it day turning, four. It was turning even on day two, I think. You know, started, uh, Lyon was getting turned to, to Jadeja, picked up that wicket late, mm-hmm. on, late on day two. Really, really important. And, and Australia, if they didn't have, if they hadn't nicked off early, Australia have a lot of left-handers in their lineup. Yeah. And and you know, a, an off spinner, a finger spinner taking the ball away from a left-hand dominant lineup, particularly given Travis Head made 163 in that Test match, is probably a pretty telling outcome. Yeah. Look, look, you, you know, you're not going to get anything different from me in terms of the talking points. So certainly, I thought Barat did keep really, really well. The yeah. ball wobbled a little bit mm-hmm. as the Dukes is prone to do in England. Um, there was a little bit of variable bounce throughout the game as well, and we'll probably come on to that when we talk about the pitch. But you know, he kept really well. Five catches. He probably took one catch that you would say was a you know he took a, a, a decent diving, diving catch. That was nice. That potentially a, you know a, a guy who is a lesser keeper in, in Ishan Kishan may not have gloved, but it wasn't a, it wasn't a specky. It wasn't a you know one out of a hundred catch. It was a yeah a, a probably a you know an eighty percenter for a yeah, decent a decent keeper. Mm. But I think when you then look at the game situation when um you know when Barak came into bat six for 152 and India ended up getting nearly 300 50 or 60 from him at that point in that game makes that first in his deficit a lot different um it, it then probably creates some questions and then I think when you then look at the way that India used their seamers the core was you know underused in that second innings mm. and I think you know the you know that 
The board has already mentioned it, but again, um, you've got a, a guy that turns the ball away from the left-hander. Travis Head obviously had a you know a fantastic innings and, and played almost. Uh, I've seen it referred to as Trav ball throughout oh, the course. We're not of, talk about that throughout the course podcast. of the, the week. But look again, um, if he'd have been an option to come on and, and bowl early to Travis Head, that was one of the criticisms of Travis Head and why he didn't get picked in the subcontinent for mm-hmm. Australia was his pedigree against spin. Would that have been a different question with with Ravi Chandran Asrin uh, turning the ball away from him? Um, and then Alex Carey as well, 48 in that first innings, really, really important little knock. Um, and then obviously in the second innings, but you know, batted really, really w- well as well. Left-hander has struggled against spin. Um, seemed to have yeah, one terrible, plan, which was sweep the shit out of everything. Terrible, I saw some yeah. terrible stat about his reverse sweeps. Played like yeah. 14 reverse sweeps and been out four times or something. 16. 14 times. Yeah. yeah. I, I think terrible. it's entirely possible that he's played 14 reverse sweeps and been out to that <laughs> shot 16 times. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> put it away, yeah. Alex. Absolutely. And look, we, we, you know, I'm sure we'll come on to that in the, in the Ashes preview as well with England changing their spinner spin options up um, because they haven't got any. Mm, whereas true. India's, uh, you know, had an embarrassment. They've got almost too many. Um, let's talk a little bit about the pitch and the and the toss. Mm. Um, yeah, what, what are our, you know, what are our thoughts? Obviously, you know, looking back in hindsight, it, you know, it's, it's a pretty good first innings batting performance, but um, India obviously deciding to bowl first and stick, yeah, stick Australia in. Um you know, would they change that, do you think, going back? Oh, well, I mean, they've lost the game, so you would have to think that they would probably revisit that decision. But, I mean, in both innings, they had Australia in a little bit of trouble early doors, right? Mm. And their opening bowlers, as much as we've lambasted them in terms of the overall selection, it's not their fault, but, you know, their opening bowlers at the top of the order knocked Australia off, knocked Kwaja off in both innings, exposed a bit of a flaw in his technique, perhaps, or, mm. or something for him to work on. Um, and they had Australia, you know, a couple down and in trouble in both innings. So they did their job. Ultimately, the pitch flattened out, and as soon as it did, the lack of variety in that Indian yeah. tack, which comes back to selection, really did hurt them because they weren't they weren't able to throw different looks at Australia once we were set. And I think I think actually that first hour, I mean, yeah, I mean, is there any thought on the podcast that you would? I think you rock up at that, you see that pitch, you bowl first. I don't, I don't. What think do you do? Any- what do you do at the oval, Binksy? Do you look up or you look down? Yeah, look, I think at the oval, it, it's a bat first ground. Fair enough. Unless there's, you know, unless there's, you know, what probably India saw on that on that day. And I think probably the thing that might have made that decision was they were thinking, this is June um, at the oval. Normally, the oval is the, you know, the last test match of the summer. Um, it's pretty flat um, and, it, you know, it's a, it's a batting wicket. You only need to look at the fact that someone like Ollie Pope, uh, his home ground mm. um, for Surrey, averages 90-odd there in the county championship over the, the, the course of the last four or five years. And, that you know, that's a little bit about how good a player is, but it's also about how good the surface is. And you look at, again, the batters that England have produced that have churned out um, runs, you know, notwithstanding the likes of, you know, Rory Burns. Um, but if you go back to, the, you know, the Alex Stewart's, the Graham Thorpes, you know, there's, there's lots of sorry players who have really churned out a lot of runs on that pitch. So mm. I, I, I think they, you know, yes, it's really easy to say with hindsight. I think they've made a, you know, made a mistake there um, in inserting Australia. Um, I understand why they've probably done it. Um, you know, it's a big game. It's a one-off game. And they've probably thought, you know, if we bowl really, really well, we could have Australia in a little bit of trouble. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, look, Steve Smith and, and Travis Head, who, who will come on to. Um, and even David Warner, to a certain extent, um, you know. Played a good innings until, a, he, until uh, he hit one and got it, got himself out. Yeah, so, you know, ultimately, I think we, we've got to give a lot of credit to, to Australia because it wasn't easy I think that to get through hour, that first day. They bowled really well yeah. in that first hour. That, I, I think that might have been the tactical... A, a bit of a tactical error really to 
bowl Siraj and Shami for so long together. Yeah, they didn't bring one of them off and give them another chance. Exactly, yeah, yeah. because the two of them bowled so well together. And, you know, we are, we're are we talking now, I mean, they did end up having them 70-odd for three and in a position where they could start taking advantage of that position. But I think they also got... They could have they could have had them like 30 for three as well. Mm. They were very unlucky. They bowled a lot of wicket balls that just didn't find the edge. Siraj in particular I thought was really, really impressive. You know, hit uh, Labuschagne on the gloves, I think, hit uh, hit guys in the head, hit Travis Head in the hit Travis Head in the head in the second in the first innings, hit also hit uh, Green in the shoulder as well at times. He was sort of able to bowl that ball where it was going past the edge and also then run in and hit the deck and still find some juice. So yeah, I thought he did a really, really nice job. Yeah. And, and look, just really strange when you've got four seamers. Um, you, you know, you've got the ability to rotate your seamers a lot better than they did, and they, mm. they didn't. They kind of put all their eggs in that um, opening basket, and then yeah, it didn't really work out for them through the yeah through the course of that mm. first day. But Bordy, you know, let's talk a little bit about Australia's batting. Mm-hmm. You know, I know you, you know, you're not always forthcoming in praise, but Steve Smith has, has played. You know, what you'd describe, I suppose, as a pretty old-fashioned test innings, 121 off lots and lots of balls, striking at about 45. But mm-hmm. the other end, you've got a guy, Travis Head, who strikes nearly 90, 163 off 174 balls. And um, certainly the way he went through the gears um, late on... Uh, yeah, late on that first day and then into yeah into day two was was fantastic, wasn't it? Oh, very, very impressive. Travis Head continues to impress in um, overseas conditions now. Uh, there's lots been t- talked about as um, regards how effective he is in Australia and how ineffective he is overseas. This is his first century overseas in Test cricket. He's finally got um, that, you know, ticked off on his scorecard and, and he's away. I think he's going to be as influential this English summer as he was in the Australian summer down under. He was our best bat in Australia. He's proved now that he can bat in subcontinent conditions. He's proved to himself he can bat in English conditions, albeit batting friendly ones. And look, I mean, you have a look at some of the facts around Travis Head. Travis Head, Australia have not won a test match without Travis Head since he debuted. So every time Australia wow. drop him, they don't win test matches. Every time he plays, well, not they don't always win, but they've ne- they've not won without him since he made his debut. I'm in a hazard that will change this summer. It, it, it will likely change three times this summer. Yeah. Um, spoiler alert. Um, his average now is higher than Justin Langer, Mark Taylor, and Mark Waugh. Well, combined? Not combined. <laughs> Um, the only the only Australian cricketer that has an, a higher average and strike rate and strike rate right now, Adam Gilchrist. Adam Gilchrist, then Travis Head. Wow. So what you're saying is that Travis Head needs to keep wicket and continue to score at the rate that he does. He's the difference maker for Australia. Yeah. Really, he. When we look at the Ashes preview, he is that he is a difference maker for Australia, and he took this game away from India. Right at three for seventy, there was hard work to be done. He changed the game for Australia by coming in and basically scoring at a run of ball and taking that yeah. game completely away from India. At three for three hundred, it was really one team in the box seat after day one, and that was Australia. Yeah, and they never let go. You're right. You're right. They took that initiative, and that from that point on, the game was never was never done. And it happened as immediately as soon as he came out to bat as well. Mm-hmm. He just went. He basically. I really like the way that he he sort of scored his boundaries in two zones, particularly on early on in his innings. If anything was any width outside off stump, he cut it behind point. If anything was on his legs, he whipped it into the leg side. Apart from that, he just worked his singles and kind of saw off the good balls. But it was very, very calculated, but also in a way that just 
it was it was aggressive without even really having to be aggressive if that makes sense mm. yeah I, I think we, we probably don't give enough credit to the fact that that partnership if you think about it from three for 70 odd to you know four for a 360 or whatever mm. um you've not quite collapsed in a heap after that but you've lost six wickets for 100 which i think just shows the importance of you know that that partnership, that big in, partnership. Terms of, in terms of setting up is the difference the between the two teams well, at the end do. of the day yeah you look at the rest of the game i don't think anyone else got over 300 today in the in the whole game yeah, I, I kind of looked at that because I think we, we want to talk a little bit about the pitch and there's been some, I wouldn't necessarily say criticism, but um, I think if you read between the lines, Robert Sharma's not particularly happy with, you know, the whole circumstances pr- pr- around the final pitch uh, format, uh, umpiring, you know, and we'll come up, we'll come on to that. But let's be honest, this pitch has produced 1,200 runs over, you know, best part of four days, so 300 runs a day. Uh, they're all there or thereabouts at three just over three and a half and over so I, I don't think we can probably put too much pitch is fine yeah I thought all pitch the was pitch, actually fantastic because when I look at a pitch like that when and when I look at test cricket at the moment you want something that has something in it for everybody and that pitch absolutely did that if you ran in and bowled, no matter, you know, 50th over on the third day, if you ran in hard, bowled put, well. put it in the right spots, yeah. bowled well, there was something in it for you. You could get seam, you could get bounce. There was, But if you dug in, you could score runs and yeah. you could score them quickly at times. So I thought that was... It's. I thought that was the perfect balance between bat and ball that we often don't see in Test cricket at the moment. It ticks all the boxes for me. Was there anything for the bowlers in it on day one early doors? Yes, there was. Mm. Were 100 scored by batters? Yes, there was. Did both teams have an equal opportunity to score runs in the test match? Yes, they did. Was there something in it for the bowlers in most parts of the test match, i.e. was it flat for four and a half days? No, it wasn't. Mm. Was there something in for the spinners? Yes, there was. When was there a result? Was there a result on day five? Yes, there was. So, like, you can criticise the particulars about the pitch if it wasn't quite to your liking, but if you think about genuine good test outcomes regardless of which side you support that pitch has got something for everyone as Stu said yeah um let's talk a little bit about some of the you know of the controversy throughout the course of the day um little Freudian slip um I mentioned four days we've got four days worth of overs so yes um, over rates we'll is, come to that over rates is probably one of those things but um we, we've got Shubman Gill in a little bit of hot water so I think um overnight um he has uh yeah has essentially been fined I think that you know no one's gonna an really extra 15 percent everyone all the Indians got fined 100 percent for the over rates yeah 100 percent of their match fee and Shubman got an extra 15 percent for his uh social media antics which you know, I, I think is well, you're not going to get any arguments here. I don't think for 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 that for that fine. Not from me. I mean, yeah, you can't really go on and do that. I, it, like regardless of how you feel and how frustrated you are with the situation, I think regardless of whether you think it's out or not, you yeah, you can't be. You, can, you know, I think when you're going to do that, you know this is inciting. You know, it's dissent. Yeah, it, you know it's dissent. You know exactly what you're doing. Yeah, it's it's frustration and it's borne out and yeah, you can't do that unfortunately in in this day and age. No matter if you're saying it directly to the umpires or projecting it to the world, which is perhaps even worse, really, in terms of dissent. Mm. Yeah. Uh, what do we think about the actual d- decision? Any any arguments that that was a, a clean catch at, the, at this table? I don't really think so. It looked pretty good to me. I mean, I I, I don't know. I, you see, I I actually don't know the rule as much as. Uh, you know, Baldy might say it to I, me, but I have it here. The, the thing about the thing that Kettlebrook kept saying that stuck in my mind is he is in control of the ball, and that's that's the way I sort of view catches. I think um, 
Did, did a similar thing happen with Kyle Jamieson, I think, in the last World Test Championship final? Pretty sure he put the ball down on the ground, but I thought he was in control of the ball, but that was given not out at that time. But, yeah, when I, I mean, I've been in those positions. I used to field at gully all the time. You go in, you, you... I mean, we always say you think you know whether you've caught it or not. I don't know if that's always 100% accurate. You, you do. You have a pretty good feel. But you don't know if you've grazed the grass. You don't know if you've, you know, just caught it. I think all of the cheat stuff is ridiculous because we'll, we'll get onto that. Cameron Green has claimed the catch because he thinks he's caught it. I don't think Cameron Green thinks at any second that he hasn't caught that. So there's cameras around. He's entitled to go up for that catch. I don't think there's any suggestion in my head that he's cheating or doing anything wrong. But yeah, I think that's a clean catch, basically, as I've just said, because I agree with Kettlebrough that he had control of that ball, even if maybe some of the ball is touching the grass, which. Baldy might be able to fill us in on, on what the actual letter of the law says so about that. So here's, here's the letter of law 32.2. A, f- a catch, and I'm paraphrasing some of this here. Furthermore, a catch will be fair if any of the following conditions applies. 32.2.2.1, or 33.2.2.1, I should say. Strap in, viewers. The ball <laughs> is held in the hand or hands of a fielder, even if the hand holding the ball is touching the ground or is hugged to the body, or lodges in the external protective equipment worn by a fielder, or lodges accidentally in a fielder's clothing. Much more riveting when read by Stephen Fry, but there you have it. Um, it goes on to talk about how the ball is struck, and etc. Now, the act of making a catch shall start from the time when the ball first comes into contact with the fielder's person, and shall end when the fielder obtains complete control over both the ball and his or her own movement. So Cameron Green has satisfied both of those clauses. And as Alison Mitchell pointed out in commentary, his if his hand is under the ball, part of the ball can touch the ground if it's in his hand. Mm. If, the, if his hand is not under the ball and the ball touches the ground, then the ball is deemed to have touched the ground, right? So a couple of things here. One, no one asked Cameron Green if he didn't catch it, right? Australia appealed. The umpires were asked to uphold an appeal. It was referred to the third umpire. The third umpire made a decision. No one asked Cameron Green if he made... If, so it's not up to him mm. whether or not it's out. Um, and the accusation by some members of the crowd that he was a cheat, are you a cheat if you nick off and don't walk? Well, I it's don't the, think so. It's, <laughs> the equivalent, it's the equivalent. You're asking an umpire to make a decision. Mm. Now, if in the, in the scenario where you nick off and stay where you are often you know that you've hit it and you continue to stay where you are the fielder that claims a catch where they are maybe even let's say unsure they are not knowingly breaking the laws of cricket and still asking the umpire to make a decision right so so under no circumstances can you assess that Cameron Green is a cheat for all of the cricket fans who when Bordy looks directly into the camera you know it's serious yeah for all of the cricket fans who forget that going to a stadium does not mean you get to abuse a player or, a, or an official, remember this. Imagine yourself in an elevator. Next to you are your daughter, who's seven, and your mother, who's 85. Opposite you in this elevator, which is stuck and the doors are closed and you can't get out, is the opponent whom you would, who you wish to address. Next to him are the Klitschko brothers, Vitaly and Vladimir Klitschko. (laughs) They are his bodyguards. If in that situation you still feel compelled to call someone a cheat or something like that, then so be it. But until you're prepared in that scenario to make those decisions in that circumstance, 
Keep it to yourself. You are allowed to barrack for your own team. I will even allow in some circumstances to you boo an opposition if they're going to kick a goal or something like that. Well, that's, that's, oh, that's just a bit of fun. Uh, under some, um, some under some circumstances, but you're not allowed to call someone a cheat, particularly when it's obvious. If you take the partisan viewing of the situation yeah. out, it's, he's not cheating. Yeah, yeah he's yeah. not it, neither oh, willfully just, or or accidentally. He's, he's put cheating. That to bed. Let's put can, it to bit. I think we can. I think we can move on. It's no different to appealing for an LBW, is it? Really? You, no. you know, you're not sure about that. You go up. You ask the umpire to make a decision. Um, and, and you know, as, as you said, I think you know Cameron Green has not willfully done anything, and there's 27 million cameras in the ground. Mm. The Klitschko's have fallen on hard times, though, if they're doing private security for your 85 year old mother. But anyway, no, can, they're doing can, for Cameron Green. Oh, for can, Cameron Green. Okay. Well, we're talking about catches, and uh, I, I think we'll maybe this can segue into talking about you know Australia's next Prime Minister Scott Boland. Can can we talk about Steve Smith's catch? Because like maybe I'll lose my New Zealand passport by talking about this, but I've watched that Steve Smith catch of Virat Kohli about a thousand times. It was just an absolutely tremendous piece of fielding, and anyone like if you want a display of like a game-changing moment. I mean, I know we're going into day five already. We've moved on to to day five. We all kind of the neutrals, I'm sure, and all the Indian fans wanted to see Virat Kohli score a hundred. He was on 49. You know, it would have made for a fantastic day. The way that Steve Smith moves his body to actually go and grab that with two hands. Well, I mean, that just fantastic. Baldy, were you watching that live? I, I wasn't watching it live. And the interesting thing for me that comes out of that test match, if I step back a little bit, is that Australia had a real rocks and diamonds performance with their oh, yeah. catching behind day the three, wicket. Terrible. Day three, terrible. Cameron Green takes two really, really good catches, one of them controversial, one of them not, and Steve Smith takes that screamer. But actually, Australia's slips catching is really inconsistent at the moment and has been for some time. Mm. It is actually a bit of a concern for me. I have two or three concerns over the performance of that Australian side, despite the fact that we won this test match, and that's really one of them. Yeah. I'm just <laughs> trying to find the catch. Right. And I thought it was a nice height. Oh, yeah, it's a nice height, but to, honestly, the pace that that comes... Yeah, to get to to turn your body and get two hands to it. I mean, you know, maybe I'm alone in that. Binks You're is, not alone. Binks, You're not Binks alone. is trying to trying to view it here. So maybe I, me and Baldy can just have a chat about Scott Boland while he looks at this. Yeah, look, I don't disagree. I think it's a reasonable a reasonable grab, but it's a it's a nice height, and he's had a long time to see it because Coley's played a long way outside of his body. I, I, don't get me wrong, good catch. Um, but as you say, I think there was you know th th there's been I think in this World Test Championship Australia. Um, over the course of the last two years are somewhere in the middle to lower half of the catching table, aren't they? They're yeah, around they're sort of 75% when the, you know, the nations near the top are in the sort of early 80%. Or, or New their... Zealand are close to 90 in terms of their yeah. slips catching. Australia are well below the standard that they will have yeah. set for themselves behind the wicket, that's for sure. Let, let's talk a little bit about Australia's bowling though because we've praised their batting and we've sort of talked about the Indian selection and things but we haven't really talked about what Australia did with the ball because this batting lineup for India on paper at least is very very strong they you know you could argue you in good form in good form a lot well in good form but coming from the IPL very different but you know players like Shubman Gill who you know we everyone has been talking about as the next big thing comes in leaves that one to Scott Boland it jags back a mile he looks a fool but actually you go and you look on the replay of that it went a long way it pitched a meet like it pitched half a metre at least outside of off some I think he's well within his rights to, to actually leave that Pujara's maybe not a mm. little bit later on in the in the day but but what do you talk to me about Boland because I think for everyone who's 
well, I'll talk for myself. I've been watching the Scott Boland story, I guess, loving it because to me, he's sort of been your first class battler who's coming in and getting your opportunity now and kind of just doing so, so well and kind of making a case really, making a very strong case now in particular to be picked ahead of these guys who've got 250 test wickets, the Starks, the Hazelwoods, even Cummins, I think. I think I think Boland bowled the best out of all of those seamers in that match. What's he bringing for, from an Australian side that you're so impressed with? Well, we think I think we talked about it in the preview show for this World Test Championship final, and it's the reason why I really like that Australia went with him to open the bowling instead of Mitchell Stark. Mm. In that early on in a batter's um, innings, he asks questions of the batter every single ball, and he yeah. does just enough with the ball to make it do a little bit. Sometimes it does a lot in the case of Shubman Gill's dismissal, but he asked Shubman Gill to play just about every one of the 10 or so balls that he bowled to Shubman Gill before he bowled them out, right? So he asks questions of a batter early in innings in an area of the of the wicket where there's some uncertainty as to whether or not you go forward or back, and he just does a brilliant job of being metronomic in his consistency in those areas early on in his spell. He also is excellent to you, like, no matter where he it is in his spell, he's always excellent to the new batter. He's played eight test matches now. On six occasions, he's taken multiple wickets in and over. Mm-hmm. The only person that's done that in this World Test Championship cycle, other than him, is Ravindra Jadeja. So, like, they... Jadeja he, or Ashwin? Uh, Jadeja. Jadeja. Jadeja has, I think, six times got multiple wickets in and over. Yeah. Um, so he just asks so many good questions of you, whereas opposed to someone like Mitchell Stark, who could bowl you the one unplayable ball, but as we saw in this test match, can also feed you five runs and over, mm. right? So it's that consistency that he brings to the Australian team that I think is going to he's going to put England players under pressure in the Ashes, and he certainly put the Indian top order under pressure in this test match. Yeah, the, the pitch, I think, helped him a little bit. There, yeah, there was, there was yep. a little bit of nip in there and he's just about the right pace and probably the right length, actually, on on, on that wicket with a yep. little bit of variable bounce. Um, look, I'm worried about him from an Ashes perspective and we'll come on to that in the preview. But yeah, I think, let's save some of that yeah, for the preview because I think it'll be interesting. But but I think, you know, what we've probably got to look at is fantastic performance over the eight test matches that he's played. Let's see what happens when he gets with a Kookaburra ball on really, really flat wickets. Yep. You know, maybe that's at Adelaide. Um, in the home summer and um, maybe that's you know in the west indies maybe that's in india or pakistan at some point that that's going to be really whether or not he's glenn mcgraw or stuart clark mm. or whether he's andy bickle yeah uh, what i think stands him in really good stead is he's played enough domestic cricket now to know in those different conditions where the top of off stump is like he often even in the indian conditions he put brought his length back a little bit so he was still hitting the top of off stump mm-hmm. in australia he bowls full to hit the top of off in england it's kind of somewhere in between right but he knows that he can adjust his length and still be consistent and and have that ball targeting in or thereabouts the top of off stump so when you do leave you can get yourself in trouble and you putting your fingers out like that for you know holding holding the ball for anyone who's listening uh, on the on the podcast they showed a really nice, uh, some nice footage of uh, basically his grips for setting up Coley for that dismissal mm. and the way that he's just subtle variations in the way that in he the, changed in the his, second innings. Yeah, in the yeah, way that he changed his th- hands. Th- that's and, a lot more about a shit shot. It was to a be loose honest. shot. It was a loose shot, but but it came from yeah. all those questions that he was asking. It came from the fact that he'd been bowling maiden after maiden or tight economical overs and. There was a loose ball. There, you know, there was the opportunity to score, but it wasn't because he was setting him up, trying to, you know, just subtly change his finger mm. position to 
nipped the ball away and took the edge and there you go. Mm. So yeah, fantastic stuff. Well, look, we're approaching probably the, the last sort of four or five minutes of the, of the pod. We, we want to talk, I think, about overrates briefly, the format of this World Test Championships come into criticism um, after the fact. Um, so we can definitely have a, yeah, a little conversation about that. Uh, first thing on, on overrates, look, it's a difficult one because it winds me up every single time that we've got gloves coming onto the ground, we've got all kinds of stoppages left, right and centre. Um, but it hasn't really detracted, I don't think, from the spectacle of this game. Well, that Do was we the just question, need to shut up about it? That was the question I was going to ask you guys, because I think you guys are much more... Uh, I mean, I don't like seeing anybody getting shortchanged, and I think that's probably the, the frustrating part, that we, we're missing out on cricket. But I, I actually don't notice it. I don't feel like I notice it when I watch the game. I don't feel like the game is slower in any way. I don't feel like... I don't feel like the fielding team is slowing the game down. At times, I feel like the batting team is the it's, one that's asking for drinks and asking it, for helmets. And it's absolutely both. And it's things. absolutely both teams. But I, I think if we look at, um, I, I think the, uh, it was the first two hours of the Test match. I think, and I mentioned this. I think on our Slack channel, there was eleven overs in yeah. each of the first. two. That feels very poor, obviously, and I don't understand. I don't understand why they can't bowl those overs because I mean. You know, obviously, as a spinner, I was someone who got through my overs quickly. Mm. But I don't think at club level, and I don't think at club level, would, I've ever struck like I've ever been in a team where we've struggled to that degree, unless we were trying to slow the game down on purpose. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I don't understand why it's happening, really. Yeah, look, I, I think the thing for me, and I, look, I've got I've got to actually, you know, probably disagree slightly around. You don't miss anything. You're paying probably in England a hundred pounds to go and watch a day's Test cricket. Mm. I think it's actually slightly more in. Um, at Lords and perhaps even the Oval in London. So you're paying a decent amount of money. If you go and watch, for example, 75 overs in the first day, um, when you should be easily getting 90 and probably even 90, you know, 95 overs into a day, and you might miss someone, you know, batting oh, yeah. the next day, um, you know, uh, you know, and seeing a little bit of both innings, I think quite rightly you can feel short change that you've not got your money's worth. You're almost... Them, you know, you should be entitled to come in for the next hour, the next day to, to get your, you know, to get your money's worth. You, you wouldn't go to a concert and, and you know, oh, we've run out of time. We're not going to play the encore. Um, you know, you, you don't get to hear New York, New York, a Frank Sinatra gig. I mean, you're not going to do that anyway now. Um, so, so look, I, I do think... I get your point. I do think that, you you know, this is an entertainment business as, as people keep saying now. Um, so I think... Are you that, not entertained? Speaking of... Well, but to think about it though... It, 15 overs if England were batting that's dare on near 100 runs at the moment like that's the difference between a 300 run day and a 400 run well, day let's that, put this that into providing p- enough entertainment in so a day that, and, I, and I think both of these two teams did as well so put it in, put it into perspective 15 overs you would have missed the second half of the IPL final <laughs> so uh, look I'm being slight, I'm yeah, being a I dick about it but no, ultimately mm. it's, it's a lot it's a lot of cricket and I think um, there's some real simple things that can be that can be done I think um, money's not money's not doing it though, is it? No, it's money, not. Money's not, don't care money's money. not doing it. It has to be for me. Um, if if we want to take it seriously, and my my stance is let's take it seriously. It has to be in game penalties, and I think they have to be relatively uh, relatively draconian. So I've heard about you know five runs and over and all this kind of stuff. 
Um, I, you know, I'd be an advocate of that. I think if that doesn't fix it, literally for every over that you're short, you lose a wicket in your next innings or the team that's batting gets to bring another batter back in. I guarantee that if you, if you make the, if you make the penalty, um, severe enough, you will see them, you know, see them bowling. It, and it, it worked in T20 cricket, didn't it? And, and there's just some little things for me. We're seeing a lot now, and rightly so, uh, head injuries and concussion. We need to take that really, really seriously. The amount of times now where, you know, these guys, Steve Smith travels with a kit bag the size of my kit bag full of gloves, <laughs> okay? He could maybe take two or three pairs of gloves out and have an additional helmet in there. And I think that when you're batting, just like you've got your 37 pairs of gloves, your 14 spare bats and sweatbands, Cameron Green changes bloody pads in this test match. You should you should have a spare helmet that is set up, ready to go, yeah. so that when you get hit on the head, it doesn't take 20 minutes yep. to I go agree. and get a grill that's the, you know the same as your grill or a helmet that's the same as your helmet. And then, you know, simply there's there's plenty of opportunities for drinks. There's drinks on the hour. There's drinks when there's a fall of a wicket. If you can't go an hour without a drink or go and field at third man so you can have a swig from the massive eskies that are there full of bloody Gatorade, I, look, I, I don't know what the problem I, is. I completely agree. There have to be penalties for on both sides. So, I mean, you and I have talked about it before. We need to have a Steve Smith rule that every time a pair of gloves gets run out, other than a fall of a wicket, costs you 10 runs. Right, you want off new, your own individual score. Yep, off your own score. You want you want new gloves, ten runs. Fair enough. Like it'll stop overnight. Um, you know, you don't bowl your overs in a session. Twelve runs and over, not five. Twelve. Make it twelve. Make it fifteen. Make it something where the teams go, holy crap! Actually, or, or, we need or to or bowl the captain our overs. Suspended for the next game. Or so. well, that, I, I agree. That, that, that hasn't worked either. That hasn't worked either. Um, or and or both. Right? Have both. Why not? Mm. Um, but you do need to make allowances for genuine medical emergencies and, and all the and rest of it. And th- that's fine. And that's where the third third umpire is looking at the front line for the no ball. He can have a stopwatch as well, and he can figure out what know what stoppages in play are look we, we, we could rant all day about this yeah let's, let's not let's talk a little bit about the format so Robert Sharma has come out um and and look I thought Pat Cummins comments um in response were, were brilliant he said well you know AFL and NRL have a grand final this is a grand final wait talk about the Olympics it, it, as yeah, well the you? Olympics you, you run a gold medal race and and then I think you know part of the question that's got to go back to Robert Sharma is well you want a three game series for the world test championship all right, sweet. We'll have a fifty-game IPL instead. What What do you think? Well, I, th- I think I wonder. Well, I don't wonder, but it's the BCCI that he's got to be having a go at, really. Surely, isn't it? Like, if he wants India to have a, a lead into the tw- to the um, World Test Championship, and I and I I sympathise with him that they have had to come straight from a T Twenty tournament that they're all going to play in and that they all care about. It is very important to them to play in that tournament and win it, and win it, and be you know, and succeed yourself personally in it, so mm-hmm. that you get you know financial security and and set up for you know, and and even Indian uh, jumpers next time you know next time those teams are being selected because the IPL is important for for all of those reasons. Then the BCCI actually, if they care about this tournament, needs to, or the World Test Championship need to set it up so that they don't go straight from the IPL to that. I don't really think any of I, I mean I think the world media has reacted to Rohit's comments by basically going well it's your decision like your board's decision well, I, to I, I, and they knew when the final was yeah. it's not like it you know he, his comment around it doesn't have to be in England and it doesn't have to be in June well no but this one was yeah. so 
Pajara went and played county cricket. Now, granted, he's not going to get too many IPL contracts the way that he bats, but um, he's going to, you know, he's going to prepared. So, make a decision around what you know what's important to you personally. Number one, but then secondly, absolutely have that conversation with your board and say, look, this was, you know, this wasn't good enough preparation and, for and us, it, and it's set up and for the next uh, cycle as well. Yeah, they know it's going to be at Lords. Then I'm, I don't know if they know the exact date, but they'll probably know somewhat yep. around where it's going to be. So, yeah, let's see in twenty twenty five if they actually care enough because i think that's on the bcci and i think rohit has a right to be frustrated about that but actually that's that's on the home board for them to make a decision and go well the ipl can be a week earlier i think in terms of three tests we all want it to be three tests but unfortunately t20 cricket is taking over this there's, there's, there's leagues, no room there's no the room. schedule for for three test matches over five weeks you yeah. really need to have it over five weeks who's got five spare weeks in their cricket calendar well, we would love they don't need it over five weeks but yeah i, I see your point that they're going to need a reasonable window if you yeah. look at how quickly these ashes test matches come um they, yeah they're yeah, thick and fast yeah. but but i mean yeah it, you're you not going to be able to run them back you, to, net, yeah, yeah, you know what i mean right yeah, yeah. yeah. absolutely absolutely Brilliant. Well, look, guys, we'll, we'll nearly wrap the pod up here. Lippy, I know you want to uh, talk a little bit of New Zealand uh, news, don't you? So uh, New Zealand contracts are out. Um, yep. Trent Bolt um, is probably one of the main talking points um, that, that, that's come out of that. Do you want to give us a quick rundown of that? Yeah, well, look, because uh, I actually don't think there are a huge amount of talking points. So, I mean, uh, the three sort of players that picked up contracts last year, Finn Allen, Mark Chapman and Blair Ticknell kind of retained their contracts. They got them when the guys stepped stepped away from their contracts last year. The only real decision, I guess, that happened was Adam Milne has come in and AJS Patel has lost his contract once again. He's sort of been in again, you know, in and out for, for the last three or four years. It's unfortunate for him, but I think the way that New Zealand does this point system he's never going to be selected in this unfortunately because we have a two test tour to Bangladesh but apart from that it's a diet of one day cricket and T20 cricket leading up to the ODI World Cup and then we have home tests in the next summer that he's not going to play in even if he's regarded as the number one spinner and looking back at Pakistan he kind of lost his spot as the number one spinner because he took his took his opportunity probably better than Ajaz did in that series against Pakistan so it's very unfortunate for him Jimmy Neesham is again not selected, which I do find interesting. I don't. Uh, it's they. Brian Stronach came out, the New Zealand's performance man- manager, and said explicitly it was because he didn't accrue enough points in the system. And basically, for anyone who doesn't know that what New Zealand cricket does is they go and they rank, I think, the top twenty in all formats for how many games they think they will play for uh, for that next twelve month cycle. And they've decided that I don't think Jimmy Neesham is going... Tests are ranked higher. so And Jimmy's not sort of not in that, so he kind of loses mm-hmm. out there. But I don't think that's a great uh, reflection on his World Cup chances, actually. Because if they don't think he's in the top 12, 13, 14 ODI, you know, in the ODI list, then, yeah, I, I think he's, if not... Uh, on that plane I think he's probably going to be the last picked in, in terms of that ODI squad which may come as a bit of surprise to people if, if that happens on the flip side to that we seem to now have some resolution to the Trent Bolt situation in in terms of uh, I think they'd said uh, David White had come out we talked about this on the podcast a few weeks ago David White had said pretty much if Trent Bolt is fit he'll be in the World Cup squad Gary Stead has now said that We've, I mean paraphrasing his words but he's basically said we've put him down on the team list we've talked to him 
as long as he's not injured, he'll be on the, the list. I think the really encouraging phrasing around the, the media release was that Trent Bolt's been offered a casual contract and, uh, and will play for New Zealand when both sides feel it's, uh, it's suited. Whether that means he is available for... I think everyone's kind of hanging... New Zealand fans are hanging on with hope that he might be available for some of our home tests against South Africa and Australia. I think the South Africa one will come a little bit too soon. He's playing... Uh, BBL and then goes to the the Dubai T20, which I think kind of be too close. I would love to see him play in those Australia tests, but again, we kind of saw what happened last time around, so who knows? But at least I think the wording around we it basically suggested we're positive about what Trent. You know, we're we're. I, last week I talked about how I think the New Zealand need to think strategically about all this stuff. They need to be flexible and for their best players. It looks like that might be on the horizons and that they will try and get Trent Bolt into the mix if he's committed and wants to be there. So, yeah, let's watch this space. Yeah, absolutely. Watch this space. And I think what's fascinating is whether anyone else is going to get a casual contract because this, it sets a dangerous precedent in a way with, you know, the proliferation of white ball cricket we've got. We're making an exception for a great New Zealand cricketer. Are you going to make an exception for a not so great one in the, in the I, future? I think they're going to have to going forward. I think they're going to have to. I think New Zealand cricket is going to have to make uh, exceptions for their best players as long as they're committed to playing for New Zealand when uh, when New Zealand wants them. Awesome. Well, look, that does just about wrap up this episode of the Top Order podcast. As we said at the top of the show, we will be back in your feeds over the course of the next day or so with an Ashes preview as well. Um, our mouths are watering aren't they the prospect of that Edge Baston test match but for now it is good night and God bless from us all at the Top Order podcast here in Auckland we'll see you soon on the next show good night <laughs>